Welcome to the Tucson History Podcast from 1030 The Voice. I'm Greg Garinger. And coming up next, from territory to statehood. From 1861 to 1865, the Civil War divided our nation in the bloodiest chapter of the history of the Republic. On August 1st, 1861, the Arizona Territory, which also included southern New Mexico, seceded from the Union and became part of the Confederacy. Most of those living in this forbidding landscape felt no real connection or loyalty to the Union and were always pretty angry about the federal government's ineffectiveness in fighting the Apaches. And it didn't help that the Army dismantled and destroyed forts as they moved troops back east. Following these actions, Apaches, many under the command of Cochise, gained control of large areas of the territory, forcing many white settlers to move to Tucson, where the population was just over 1,000 people at the time. On April 15, 1862, the westernmost battle of the Civil War occurred at Picacho Pass. It was more of a brief engagement between 13 Union cavalrymen from California and 10 Confederate cavalrymen from Texas, stationed in Tucson. About 120 CSA cavalry had arrived here a few weeks before, declaring it the western capital of the Confederate Arizona Territory. I'll place my knapsack on my back, my rifle on my shoulder. I'll march away to the firing line, kill that Yankee soldier. If not for the actions of an overzealous lieutenant that led to three deaths, the Union would have won. Instead, it was considered a Confederate victory that delayed a surprise attack on Tucson. But a force of 2,000 Union troops rolled into Tucson on May 20, 1862, and raised Old Glory without firing a single shot. Yes, we'll rally round the flag, boys, we'll rally once again. This mineral-rich region of the Southwest was valuable because of its vast deposits of gold, silver, and copper, and political pressure from Easterners with investment in mining led to President Abraham Lincoln signing the Arizona Organic Act on February 24, 1863, creating the Arizona Territory. The new territory would include northern and southern Arizona together. Territorial officials and new territorial governor John H. Goodwin then needed to choose a capital. Tucson was undoubtedly the most populous and civilized city in the territory, but Tucson's time as part of the Confederacy and its proximity to the Republic of Mexico weren't in its favor. A site was selected near the geographic center of the territory. A gold mining boom had seen the rise of encampments on the east side of Granite Creek. That town site would officially be named Prescott on May 30, 1864. Here, the capital would remain until November 1867, when it was officially moved to Tucson, thanks to some good old politicking from the delegates from the old Pueblo. Prescott officials were enraged by the decision and were convinced bribes were responsible for swaying the votes of delegates from other parts of the territory. The capital would move back to Prescott in 1877 and remain there until moving to Phoenix in February of 1889. Prescott argued against the move as Phoenix and Tucson had both already recently benefited from big projects like the State Sanatorium, Tempe Normal School, and the land-grant University of Arizona. But Southern Arizona and Salt River delegates worked together to locate the capital in Phoenix, which offered a central location, better hotels and restaurants than Prescott, and a Southern Pacific Rail Line. The turn of the century brought a greater push for statehood 
Though many populous eastern and midwestern states weren't enamored by the idea of Arizona and New Mexico both having two U.S. senators, this led to a push for a joint statehood proposal in 1906 that would have New Mexico and Arizona join to create the 47th state. Citizens of both the Arizona and New Mexico territories soundly voted against that option. New Mexico would become a state on January 6, 1912, and Arizona just over a month later became the 48th and final contiguous state on February 14, 1912. You're listening to From Territory to Statehood on the Tucson History Podcast. I'm Greg Geringer, your host. He's been given a lot of nicknames over the years, the Dean of Arizona History, the Will Rogers of Arizona, but he does hold the distinction of being the official Arizona State Historian. It is our pleasure to welcome to the Tucson History Podcast, Marshall Tremble. It's good to be here. Marshall, as we celebrate the 108th anniversary of Arizona statehood, we thought you would be the perfect man to have on the podcast to bring some of that history to life, especially that period from 1863 when we became a territory all the way up to that February day in 1912 when we became the 48th state. Yeah, it, uh, it was it was quite a frustrating period, I think. It was a of rapid growth when Arizona was given territorial status as separate from uh, New Mexico. Uh, there were about uh, uh, 4,573 4, non-Indians, and uh, most of the population lived in Tucson. Now, Marshall, at the time of secession in 1861, the Apache Wars were already well underway. Isn't it true that the lack of security that many people in southern Arizona felt played a major role in them seceding from the Union? Yes, they, they abandoned the military post to uh, move the troops back east. And they just abandoned and, and burned, burned what they could, took what they could, and they burned the rest. And um, the Apaches saw all this, and they knew something was going on back in the eastern uh, part of the country. But um, they still thought, um, we, have, we have won. Uh, it, we, we took it back. And so the people around, the people around southern Arizona, and those, that was the only population, non-Indian population at the time, was uh, you know, southern Arizona. Uh, the Tubac area and the Sonoida Creek and places like that, uh, and of course uh, Tucson. We mentioned it briefly in the first part of our podcast, but Marshall, I'm going to let you explain what really got the ball rolling for the Arizona Organic Act to get signed by Lincoln. Well, in Arizona, they were they had they had tried to form a government in as, as early as 1856. They didn't even get a, a hearing in in Washington, and they kept uh, ever several times they tried. Then the silver discovery south of Tucson and the Tubac area and Cerro Colorado, uh, that uh, it was very rich in, uh, in silver ore. And so they started taking samples with them back there. And the United States was short on hard currency at that time. And uh, the war, the war was on. This made Arizona look, look much more attractive. And that's really, and, and there, were, there were some people like Sylvester Mowry and Charles Poston and Sam Heinzelman. Um, Heinzelman was an army officer stationed at Fort Yuma, and uh, uh, between the three of them, uh, they were politicking in Washington and just lobbying uh, on Arizona's behalf. It was really the mineral. And then about that same time, gold was discovered in Prescott, and so uh, they sent samples of gold to Lincoln. That's what convinced them, let's create a separate territory there. So Prescott is chosen as the first territorial capital. Big reason for that is to punish Tucson for having been part of the Confederacy? 
But then in 1877, the territorial legislature votes to move the capital to Tucson. And the officials in Prescott were outraged. Tell us about that. There's some wheeling and dealing going on. Um, Tucson was determined to, to get that capital. The, the Richard McCormick then was the territorial governor. And I think life in Tucson would have been a lot more comfortable than Prescott. Prescott was really a primitive town at that time. It was just a mining town. And Tucson was out to get it, uh, uh, get the capital back. And so McCormick, there was, there was some horse trading going on, which went on all the time in politics. And McCormick supported the territory, the change of the capital to Tucson. Uh, in exchange, Tucson would make him, uh, would, would vote for him for territorial delegate because the territorial delegate got to live in Washington. Tucson met, uh, got the votes, you know, was able to met, get the votes in the legislature. The capital stays in Tucson till 1877. Then in 1885, the thieving 13th legislature approves Tucson as the location of the land-grant university, which, of course, becomes U of A. Tempe gets the normal school, which will eventually become ASU. And then also one of the big projects they were handing out at that time was the state sanatorium. Uh, and, and it was all about the appropriation. The appropriation was $100,000 for the insane asylum. They called them insane asylums back then. And Phoenix wanted that. Uh, what, what really thwarted Tucson is they had a satchel full of money um, uh, for parties and things like that to throw, you know, lobbying parties. They, they weren't paying direct bribes. They were just throwing parties, and this was the way it was done. Prescott had a fellow named Bucky O'Neill, who was a colorful Irishman, uh, who was very popular and well-liked. So they were just gaming for that capital. But then a winter storm hit. The Tucson delegation, Bob Leatherwood and the others, were going north to uh, Prescott, and they got to about where, where, where Tempe is today uh, at the Salt River crossing, and they couldn't cross. And so they, uh, uh, they had to turn around and go back. There was no railroad yet, so they backtracked down to Maricopa and got on the train and um, took the train uh, to Los Angeles, and then got on the Santa Fe and rode it back to Ash Fork, and then took the stagecoach from Ash Fork uh, back down to Prescott, and they got there late. And all of the all of the uh, all of the, the, the goodies had been handed out already, and there was only one thing left, uh, uh, and that was uh, that was the university. And and Tempe did want a normal school, so there was only so they got their normal school, uh, and Tucson had nothing. Uh, except there's only one thing left to give, one plum left, and that was the university. When the delegates came back to um, Tucson, they were pelted uh, with with vegetables, rotten vegetables, and they were really people really really did not want a university. <laughs> they, they've got a world class university down there today, but at the time, you know, uh, the the, uh, the foresight was not was not real good. The local saloon owner said. What do we need with a university in this town? They won't patronize my place. <laughs> he didn't know college students. Then in the late 1880s, Phoenix is really pushing to get the capital moved there, right? Phoenix was the, the new kid on the block. And, um, and so now we've got three people vying for the capital. But um, in 1889, Phoenix had the votes. But there's one thing that, uh, that we often forget, and that is um, uh, from the time Arizona became a territory, a centrally located capital was important because the territory was so large and travel was so difficult and, and through dangerous country uh, for a big for a long period there 
um, that um, they were looking for a they were looking for a, a, a central location. Marshall, when we get to the turn of the century, how much steam did the movement to get statehood have by that time? Well, it, it had quite a bit because Arizonans thought they deserved it. They had been uh, since the eighteen eighties. They had they had been pushing for statehood. There was a big problem with Congress, and that is New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, were heavily populated with uh, with the Hispanic population. The excuse they gave was that uh, the minority, in other words, the Anglo's, uh, would be would be the ones who would uh, lead uh, uh, the majority of the population. Uh, and and well, they were right about that. But uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of leaders in uh, Tucson, like Esteban Ochoa, uh, and people like that who uh, were were uh, he, would, he had been even mayor of Tucson. Um, and uh, father of public schools, and uh, there were a lot of distinguished Latinos uh, in government. What they really gnawed on them was the fact that you'd have four senators who would come from the western states, and they would have the same representation as New York, Massachusetts, all these big states, Illinois, and uh, they thought it's not fair and so that was the reason behind the joint statehood proposal in 1906, right? That was really the reason, uh, bottom line. They did not want, they wanted to limit the number of Western senators. The Arizonans just revolted, uh, you, you know, on that whole idea because that was, that was a broken promise. Because when you get territorial status, the way it always worked was that you served a little time as a plebe or a pledge or something, uh, you know, as a territory. You didn't have many rights as territorial citizens. Uh, you could vote for your own uh, legislators, but but uh, everything else had to be approved. All the laws passed had to be approved in Washington. You were really just uh, apprentices, uh, I guess. And so they thought, you can't take that away from us. You gave us territorial status, and every other territory has eventually become a state. So from 1907 to 1911, what kind of things are happening that are getting us closer to statehood? Uh, Oklahoma got statehood in 1907. And they couldn't prolong it. The Congress couldn't prolong it, but uh, very, very much longer. And it was just a matter of of of, um, of time. But Arizonans were Arizonas were kind of a, a, a forward thinking. This was a progressive period in American history. All of a sudden, people were demanding more rights for the people. The citizens can elect their U.S. senators now. They're not appointed by the legislature. You know, things like that. And the mines were uh, now being uh, corp- big corp- corporate mines. And unions were getting organized because of, uh, that, that, that would cause a lot of problems um, uh, for the corporate. But um, the workers certainly had a right to protest the conditions working in those mines and the hours and the days and such. And it was all changing. We finally, in 1910... Um, they let us, you know, you can you can start to, uh, planning for statehood. Give it, write a constitution. You have a constitutional convention and and so forth. And so the Arizonans and and the Mexicans um, uh, got together and their delegates and they wrote up a constitution. Well, Arizona, being the, being a progressive place, put in the referendum initiative and referendum and the recall of judges in there and when the, the reason for the recall of judges and this is the one that got president taft he was he was a former judge and and a future supreme court justice and president taft uh, did not like that recall of judges but in arizona the copper companies uh had the judges in their pockets and so uh whenever there was a, a walkout or a strike or something they just they, they'd have a judge order order them back to work so the people thought if the companies can uh I'm thinking uh, Phelps Dodge was the big one, but there were others. 
and if if, if they can if they can uh, get a judge to do something, then we ought to have the right to recall him. And then Taft and 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 people who oppose that view said that that would be abuse of power. That people every time they didn't like a decision, they would recall the judge. But it it only happened once in Arizona history. The Arizonans kept it in there, stubbornly kept it in there, and as as Taft promised, he would veto it, and and he did. Cooler heads prevailed, and they told Arizona, take the recall of judges out. Taft will approve. And then the next election, vote it back in. And that's what they did. (laughs) And and, and the next election, out of four people running, uh, Taft finished fourth in Arizona out of four. I think he was even behind the socialist candidate. I think we're lucky to live in a state with the kind of deep, rich history that Arizona has. And I'll tell you what, Marshall, nobody brings that history to life quite like you do. Well, Elliot, it's um, uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, been a pleasure to be here. And I've I've been studying this for fifty years or more, and I I I, I never get enough of it. I just it's just uh, become a passion. Again, our thanks to Marshall Trimble, the official Arizona State historian, and that will wrap up this episode of the Tucson History Podcast. I'm Greg Garinger. Thanks for listening. The Tucson History Podcast is a presentation of 1030 The Voice and Bustos Media.